Welcome to Mysterious Goings On, the podcast about creativity, writing, and mystery. Every week, we talk about all kinds of great fiction and meet the people who write it. We also feature explorations about creativity in all walks of life. Your host, Alex Greenwood, will join you right after this. You may recall that I host and produce another podcast besides Mysterious Goings On. It is called PR After Hours, and it focuses on topics about the world of work, particularly in public relations, marketing, entrepreneurship, that sort of thing. Well, every now and then I get an author on that show that I think, wow, that would be a great episode to share with the Mysterious Goings On audience, and today is no exception. Today we're going to uh, play the episode from PR After Hours for you. It features Devorah Zach. She wrote this great book that I highly recommend called The Cactus and Snowflake at Work, How the Logical and Sensitive can thrive side by side. It answers the question, can people with fundamentally different ways of thinking and engaging with the world work together? You're going to want to hear this one, I think. So I hope you enjoy it. And of course, don't forget, you can subscribe to PR After Hours wherever you get podcasts, or you can visit PRAfterHours.com. You know, it was years ago, I was starting a job. It was brand new there, met everybody. I felt like I was getting along great with everybody, and I thought, this is going to be great. I'm meeting wonderful people. I seem to be fitting in just wonderfully, but there was this one dude. He wasn't my direct boss, but he was kind of equal to my boss, and he always gave me, for want of a better term, he always kind of gave me the stink eye, and I didn't understand what the problem was. So one time at lunch, my boss and I were at lunch, and I asked her, I said, I said uh, hey, what's the deal with, uh, let's just call him Jim. What's the deal with Jim? He just, uh, he doesn't, I just can't seem to connect with him. I I, I don't think he likes me. And she says, yeah, he says you smile too much. And I just thought, wow. But you know what that really was, I think? That was just really his way of saying, I don't like the way he emotes at work. I don't like the way he talks at work. I don't like the way he interacts at work. And let me tell you, that has stuck with me for now, oh, 25 years. So I'm excited, so excited that we have a wonderful expert on this this kind of thing right here, right now. We have Devorah Zach. She is a Washington Post bestselling author and global keynote speaker with books and Get ready, 45 languages. Her clients include the Smithsonian, Pfizer, Delta Airlines, and the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. She's been featured on the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, just about every TV station you can think of, Forbes, and among many others. And she graduated with honors from Cornell University and the University of Pennsylvania, and is also the author of Networking for People Who Hate Networking, Managing for People Who Hate Managing, and Single Tasking. But today we're going to talk about our latest book, The Cactus and Snowflake at Work. Devorah Zach, welcome to the Virtual Lounge. It's a pleasure to be here. So the guy just thought I smiled too much. So this is, when you told that story, I immediately thought of one of my ideas in this book, which has been very helpful for a lot of people, including myself at times, and it's nay, not about you. So... (laughs) Just remember that that none of that had anything to do with you whatsoever. You know what? And it does turn out, I, I can't say all of it, but I will tell you, you're exactly right. 
it really didn't. He had other reasons to dislike me. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> and they, that's not my fault anyway. But I love it. You know, it's so funny you say you talk about the nay because I mean, I literally have written in my notes nay on there because I so want to talk about that. Is that a thing in particular with empathetic people? I think I'm I am more of a snowflake, and I didn't even ask you to explain cactus and snowflake. Uh, but if you would quickly just what what do you call what what type of person at work is a cactus and what type is a snowflake? So a cactus leads with the head and a snowflake leads with the heart. So just in a nutshell, a cactus values logic, whereas a snowflake values sensitivity more highly. Uh, a cactus uh, in making decisions focuses on being analytical, whereas a snowflake will make decisions based on feelings and empathy. And a cactus will pride him or herself on being direct in engaging in conversations, whereas a snowflake is more diplomatic in conversations. That's a, that's a bird's eye view. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I think that I am pretty much of the, of the snowflake variety, um, uh, more empathetic, uh, try to be a better listener. I mean, I can be direct just like anybody else, but I think you, you go to great pains to say that in your book too. It's like, nobody's really completely one or completely the other really. Is that right? That's absolutely right. So there's not that there's two types of people. First of all, there's a lot of other things going on in our personalities besides this component of who we are. And secondly, uh, it's not that there's there's you're either a snowflake or a cactus. Most people are, are somewhere along the uh, a continuum. So picture like a line and most of us are somewhere in the middle. Uh, furthermore, there's a big difference and it's important to keep this in mind as well between behavior and innate preference. So your innate preference might be to give a lot of positive reinforcement. Uh, and then that's also reflected in your behavior. I may have a preference to be more like a cactus and not to naturally give positive reinforcement, but I may learn that it serves me well and it makes me a better um, manager if I can also give positive reinforcement. So that's a learned behavior. It doesn't change who I am. Well, and I think it's beneficial. I've also done like a disc assessment. I don't know if you've heard of those, but it's one of those kind of, sure, sure. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and it, it showed that I, I'm basically what I just said, I'm more empathetic on this, but, but it didn't mean I was completely that. And I, of course, have learned in the past 30 years in, in the world of work, how to try to um, communicate with people the way they want to be communicated with. As you say, often, I think in the book is that you, you kind of find people where they are. Is that correct? That's exactly right. So the idea is not to want other people to change or to hit our heads against the wall thinking that they should be different. The idea is to say, let's just pretend and live as if, it's called the as if reframe, as if everyone's exactly how they're supposed to be. And it's up to me to meet people where they're at. It's not a matter of what's fair or what's right or um, who's better or who's more senior. It's just about deciding that we're going to meet people where they're at. And to do that, uh, first, you want to have the foundation of really understanding your own self and accepting who you are. And secondly, it's figuring out how other people want to be treated, which is uh, not always so easy, but I've kind of given a component, which is only two steps, which helps us a lot in this quest. And it's called the big two. The first is to observe. So to observe how people um, behave, what they talk about, the words they use, their language, what they're excited by, what motivates them. And the second part of the big two is, is so simple and so useful and most of us overlook it, simply to ask. Ask people, how do you like to receive feedback? So what works for you when you um, have meetings with people and just ask questions and then you won't always get it right, but you're much more likely to get it right if you take the time to observe and ask. 
You know, you know, uh, Devorah, I just literally three weeks ago walked into a new situation. Uh, uh, regular listeners to the show know that I've had my own business for 12 years, but I've kind of taken a break with a big contract where I'm basically becoming somebody else's employee for about 10 months. Okay. So just today, I spent my first full day in an office. Most of the time, it's it's like this, right? It's through Zoom and, and that, but I have to go into the office about once a week. But it's just interesting how on Zoom, in my opinion, it's such a flat affect, pardon me, but it, I mean, just it literally is. It's harder to read people. It's harder to understand that push-pull of how they like to receive information. And I, I can tell just going in today and actually meeting the people who I work for and with that I got a lot of it wrong. Is that You see what I'm saying? I, I think Zoom is not a great way to help you do that. Or is it just me? Do I need to actually be in the room with people for me to kind of use my superpower? Well, first of all, I love that you said use my superpower because one thing I talk about in the book is everyone has their superpowers. Maybe that's why you said it, or maybe you just said it naturally. Could be, yourself. could be. <laughs> you did your homework. Uh, and so the first thing is one type isn't better than another type. So it, everybody is has great abilities to make a big difference, a positive impact on the world, help a lot of people being true to who they are. That said, uh, we're going to have very different personality styles. Zoom, to your point, is not, we're not going to get as many uh, nonverbals as we get in person. We won't get as many cues. However, sometimes I feel like people just sort of throw in the towel and give up and say, well, it's Zoom, so we can't get to know each other. Whereas there's still a lot of things that we can do. We can have ways to ask questions and have little icebreakers in meetings. We can have people say you don't get one-on-one -on -one time. Well, it doesn't happen as naturally, but you can say, hey, you wanna go on a virtual walk with me for 10 minutes or a virtual cafe? Mm -hmm. And let's just get to know each other for a few minutes, just like we would in the office. It's not the same. Um, however, there are ways to get to know each other by Zoom. And um, I actually work hard with my clients to make that happen. That's brilliant. I hadn't thought about that. It, so you're using Zoom, but you're not using it in the way people generally do. It's not just the utilitarian, it's time to have a meeting. You're actually saying, we're going to use this tool, but we're going to do it in a more human, pardon the term way. Would you even say something like, look, I'm going to get a cup of coffee, you get a cup of coffee or tea or whatever. And we're going to, for 15 minutes, we're just going to chat about who we are, what we do, our lives, that kind of thing. Is that hundred percent? And you can do that one-on-one. -on -one. You can do it with the whole group. I've done meetings with large groups where um, partway through, I'm like, okay, we're going to do a seventh inning stretch. And everyone has stands up and teaches each other like different ways of being physical, like whether it's like a little cardio kickboxing or a little yoga or a little game where you have to move around. So it, yeah, people said we don't like sitting still. So make ways to not be sitting still the whole time. Yeah, of course, with that standing up, you should be wearing pants, folks. Make sure you're wearing <laughs> That's right. People learn that quickly when they do the same one of my meetings. You don't want a virtual <laughs> visit from HR. You? You, you know, all this talk about the way, the way things are. HR. You, you, you want to use that? You can go ahead. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, she's like, I, why am I on this show? Okay. Okay. Can I tell you what I thought of? And that's because here's, I'm a big nerd. Okay. And you probably are not into this, but to me, I kept thinking about cactus and the snowflake and I, I have to, this is how I am. I have to kind of put it in. I have to make it my own somehow. Right. And you, you use these avatars of a cactus and a snowflake. I think of Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock. Great. I love that. Yeah. yeah I, I, I'm all for finding more and more metaphors to describe the differences between really it's based in Carl Jung's typology, which um, he used the term thinker and feeler. But if you want to say 
something else, like whether it's a cactus snowflake or your own version of it, that's great. It's, it, it helps it make it more, more visceral and we can really wrap our heads around it more easily when we have an image or a story that is attached to it. Yeah, and I like to think I'm Ewing at heart. <laughs> All right. I'm a good audience for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah can, can, can we can we do this every day? Because um, see, that joke's not going well at the new job. I could, no, I'm just kidding. It's going fine. Um, although I do I do the old band puns and everybody groans, but I think they're realizing, oh, that's just his way of I, you know, that's just me. But I have been, uh, you know, a soldier, so to speak, but I've also been a leader many times in my career. At one time, I did feel a lot of pressure to be more like uh, a cactus. I mean, I had some I think moving it over to the to the to the right or the left or what do you want to say getting closer to cactus was was good but I also think though that it started it started to fail for me because I think I started to deny my some of my traits that I think are important I'm pretty empathetic I try to remember I have two ears and one mouth for a reason and I always believe you can only fake it for so long so what advice do you have to give people about that so I, I think it's finding a balance between being authentic and flexible. So I talk a lot about authenticity and nurturing your nature and being true to who you are and honoring who you are. And at the same time, I use the term flex your style quite a bit in this book and in some other books as well. So it, you, you're not being fake. You're still being real. You just have a wider toolbox of, of techniques and, and language and, and motivators to work with different people more effectively. So it is first, it's the awareness. For example, just a really simple way of building language dexterity is when um, you might notice that, that thinkers or cacti use the word think more often and various versions of the word think and snowflakes tend to use the word feel more often. So it, it's a really interesting thing to start to notice in speaking of meetings, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or in groups, just to start to pick up on the cues and clues people are constantly bombarding us with about how their minds work and how they engage the world. And then matching that. So if I'm working with you and I think you're a snowflake and let's say I'm a cactus. And so I usually talk about, we, I think we should do this. And what do you think about that? And um, in English, those two words are usually interchangeable. So yeah. I might say, so how do you feel about that? Or do you feel like that's a good idea? And all it does is help establish a different type of rapport between us. And I'm still myself and you're still yourself, uh, but we're just using language that the other one can relate to. And if you're speaking for a group, if let's say you're preparing a presentation, you just can assume there's going to be a mix of both and get um, adept at, at testing out both different types of language. That's that's like a, a good place to start, you know, just bite-sized pieces. I love that. That's so great. And and this book is full of great bite-sized pieces, by the way, folks. And the way the way the book is laid out, it's uh, it's fun to read. Uh, you know, a lot of times, uh, Devorah, when we have authors on our show, business book authors and and, and the like, some people kind of recoil because business books tend to be kind of dry at times. Not this. This is fun. It's got like these quizzes, all this wonderful stuff. I like the layout. There's little cheat sheets and, and all this stuff at the end of, of stuff. You learn stuff and it's in a fun way. You talk about this a lot in the book. And this is something that for the longest time in my life I've had to deal with is, it, it, this goes right, right into nay again, but I used to think like if we had like a, if I had a tough word or two with somebody at work, that it was a huge event, that they were enemies for life, you know, the, all this stuff. And it really wasn't that. It, it might have been back when I was really young, it might have just been a, a, a criticism that wasn't put in a candy coated way. Is there a way to transform what you think or feel is a, is a big deal into a non-event? 
I knew you were going to ask them about the non-event. I just had a feeling. <laughs> I had a thought. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So what I, I introduced this concept in the book of the non-event, and I have to say it, it's, it is one of my favorite concepts in there because uh, we think that people have a lot of altercations or they don't see eye to eye, but more often than not, something that is to use your examples, like something that might really upset one person, literally nothing even occurred to the other person. They may not even know what happened. And we've, most of us have been on both sides of this many times. Like, have you ever found out you offended someone about some, the way you signed off on an email or something that you didn't yes. even remember? It wasn't even in your conscious thought process to even think to think about it or how you felt about it. Right. So it, it happens to, we've been on that end of it. And we also probably have inadvertently done something that upset somebody else. So always be on the lookout to think, is, is it a non-event? Like maybe, maybe I'm getting worked up for no reason. Maybe the other person's worked up, but I um, didn't mean it. So then also to your point, you said, can you make something into a non-event? And at times, especially snowflakes, it's true. We'll internalize a lot and get worked up and feel terrible about something and have, be just undone by an al perceived alter altercation. And so one method I introduce in, in the cactus and snowflake at work is to picture a, a ruler, a 12 inch ruler, or you can use centimeters, the metric system. And if you're really upset by something, ask yourself on a scale of one to 12 on this ruler, how likely is it that I'll even remember this happened a year from now? And you, you can get go from being really upset about something to thinking, you know what, this basically will be a non-event before I know it. I think that your book has got some fantastic tips on how both cacti and snowflakes can can live together in a in a work situation in a non-eventful way and in a successful way. I just got to ask you one other question. Have you had any readers get back to you? What, what do they say the most about the book to you? That they love the sparkly cover. it's beautiful and there'll be a picture in the show notes at pr no that's the thing i actually get most excited about <laughs> in the book. <laughs> judging book by its cover judge a book by its cover oh my uh, gosh. actually one thing that i i really like i have heard from a number of readers uh, at this point about what they like and it's great that it's all different things yeah. so it's some people it's it's looking at the our thoughts words and actions as opposed to things we can't control thoughts and feelings aren't facts that we can focus on what's personally relevant to different people and build rapport. A lot of people really get a kick out of the chapter on personal life because we're humans, whether we're at work or at home. So a lot of the same principles. And so people ask me a lot, especially after interviews like this, a podcast or a radio or a TV interview. And then at the end, the person interviewing me will ask me about how their personal life and how it impacts their significant other. And that always makes me smile. As you should, you know, uh, folks, I, I think you really owe it to yourself if you're out in the world of work, even if it's just through Zoom right now, the cactus and snowflake at work, how the logical Mr. Spock and sensitive, uh, Captain Kirk was kind of sensitive, can thrive side by side. It's not a Star Trek book. That's just my own spin. I divorced Zach, best-selling author of Networking for People Who Hate Networking. That's another book I got to check out. Uh, I'm a fan now. It's so great to have you. Uh, Devorah, Zach, thank you for joining us here in the virtual lounge. Thank you. You'll love networking. It looks at a different aspect of personality, um, introversion, extroversion. You'll get a kick out of it. I think I need to pick it up and then ask you back. Sounds good. Devorah, again, I enjoy this so much. Thank you so much and good luck with the book. <laughs>
Oh, thank you. Have you lost your belief in finding a really good mystery thriller? Well, trust me, you've got to have faith. Pilot's faith. Kirkus Review says of the book that Greenwood pulls many tricks from his writer's satchel, has a quirkiness and energy, and snappy, snarky dialogue that keeps things moving briskly. A well-handled mystery with the appropriate twist at the end. Midwest Book Review says newcomers to Pilot will find no barriers to quick immersion in his personality and situation, while prior series readers immediately become involved in another conundrum which tests his skills and the ways in which others view him in his world. Surviving a recent attempt on his life, a weary John Pilot returns to Cross Township, where a bizarre string of shootings has paralyzed the tiny college burg. Pilot joins forces with the law to find out why people are being terrorized in his name and stop it. Unfortunately, when he turns to his family for support, he finds only hardened hearts. People are dying, accusing fingers are being pointed his way, and he has nowhere left to turn. Everything John Pilot believes in, family, sanity, and even himself, are shaken to the core in Pilot's faith. Online Book Club says, It's a gripping and fun story that kept me hooked. Greenwood's writing style is dynamic, and the book reads like a movie script. You can get John Pilot's series number eight, Pilot's Faith, exclusively in paperback and ebook on Amazon.com. And remember, in the end, it all comes down to faith. Pilot's Faith. A Caroline Street Press book by J. Alexander Greenwood. Hi, I'm Michelle Stinson-Ross, a longtime listener, occasional guest, and definite friend of this podcast. I am also the co-founder of Mindful Appy. I'm here today to ask for your help. Mindful Appy is about to launch an academic peer-reviewed study to validate how we measure emotion with emoji. We need the diverse group of 500 participants that are willing to engage with us over the course of five days. If you're interested in participating in the study and helping us by sharing your feelings for science, please visit mindfulappy.com. That's mindfulappy.com. Thanks for joining us on Mysterious Goings-On. Be sure to follow Mysterious Goings-On wherever you get your podcast and never miss an episode. Don't forget, you can get the links to books and other things mentioned on the show at mgopod.com. Until next time, keep reading. Keep reading.